First Things in the Morning podcast. You might have noticed that I didn't publish an episode last week. Uh, that's because I was working on the new miniseries Politicized, uh, where I talk about anything you should know about the politics of different countries. But I really wasn't happy with how it turned out and I was really busy, so that's why I missed a week. If this is the first episode you hear, um, here on the First Things in the Morning podcast, we have different mini-series going, just to bring some structure into the whole podcast. Last episode was on the map, where I talk about different uh, countries and anything that is interesting about them. And this week we will be starting a new series that I will be calling Go Down in History. In this mini-series we will talk about, well, history. <laughs> the categories are rather broad, I know. But I choose to do it that way to make sure I don't run out of subjects on a specific series uh, after two or three episodes. But still giving you, the listener, a bit of control about what you're going to listen to. Because I put the name of the miniseries in the title. Today I'm going to be talking about the Stonewall Riots. This is one of those subjects that I am always kind of ashamed to admit that I don't know the ins and outs about. As a queer woman, I really should be familiar with all the details, but I only really knew the basics. It's a long time before my birth and although I still think it's very important, I just never got around to it. And this kind of topic is exactly why I started this, this podcast, to force myself to finally read up on them and educate myself. Uh, I first want to start off with a vocabulary issue. Um, I often notice, and this especially goes for people that aren't native in English, um, that when I call myself queer, people are a bit shocked because they think it's a slur. And yes, it is sometimes used as a slur, and please don't do that. But it is a very normal word within the LGBT community because it's just an umbrella term for not straight. And I use it for myself when I'm not in a situation or in a mood to explain the whole you know, sexuality deal. And other people sometimes use it for themselves when they haven't figured out yet what their um, preferred label is. But they know they aren't straight, so they go by queer. Just so you know. Alright. I'm first going to be giving some background information on the situation of LGBT matters in the 20th century before we get into the Stonewall riots themselves. Of course, it won't come as a surprise to anyone that homophobia was absolutely running wild in the previous century. And members of what is now known as the LGBT community couldn't just be openly gay, especially not with other people. Because besides homosexuality being illegal, what was categorized as homosexual acts were especially illegal. As we know, marginalized groups will always find a way to exist and to gather. After World War I, soldiers got the opportunity to settle down in the bigger cities. And because of this, Manhattan saw an increase in LGBT citizens. People wanted to get out of their small hometowns and now, after fighting in the war, they had a chance to do so. Homosexuality was illegal in public and private businesses in New York City. But so was alcohol. From 1920 to 1933, a time referred to as the Prohibition, alcohol was illegal in the United States, which pushed all bars underground. 
I didn't know this, but this was actually a very beneficial thing for the LGBT community. Of course, bans like these on alcohol or drugs, they never work. So speakeasies or small hidden bars were very abundant. Because of the already secretive nature of bars in this time, it was easier to have an LGBT bar. Think about it. If bars are everywhere, a hidden bar is very suspicious. But if all bars are hidden, one isn't more suspicious than the other. So there's less of a chance of police finding you in the sea of all hidden bars instead of just the LGBT bars being hidden. After Prohibition, LGBT bars never really went away and they still existed in the 60s, when New York City Mayor Robert F. Wagner Jr. really started to crack down on them in an attempt to, quote, restore the city's image before the World's Fair in 1964. Undercover cops would try to find gay guys and arrest them, often without much proof that they were gay at all. And lawyers weren't willing to defend these men, which made the whole situation worse because they couldn't find good representation. The Metachine Society, was, at the time, one of the earliest US organizations who fought for LGBT rights and sought to make their situation better. In 1965, this society succeeded in convincing the newly elected mayor of New York City, John Lindsay, to stop the police entrapment of homosexuals with undercover cops. Of course, the fight against homosexuality didn't stop, but at least he put an end to the very aggressive techniques enforced by his predecessor. There was also no real law against serving gays in bars at the time. So the bars themselves weren't technically doing something illegal, but they did face the risk of losing their liquor license because the New York State Liquor Authority had a tendency to take away the rights to sell liquor from bars that, in their eyes, had the potential to become disorderly, which was just an excuse uh, to close gay bars. That just shows that even if the law itself isn't oppressing people, people can still be oppressed. The police did often raid gay bars, or bars that were suspected to be gay, to find any little thing they could uh, arrest people on. Because of this, many of the LGBT bars that survived were the ones owned by organized crime. The mafia could pay off the police, so they either wouldn't be raided, or would be tipped off before the raid. Gay bars were never owned by gay owners, and the crime families that did own the bars often treated their patrons very badly. One of these bars was the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, a neighborhood known at the time for being the home to many LGBT people. The Stonewall Inn was owned by the Genovese crime family, who converted the place from a restaurant for straight people to a gay bar in 1966. It was not a good bar, it was unsanitary, without running water behind the bar, there were no fire exits, and the alcohol was watered down and overpriced. But the police was paid off, making it a somewhat safe place for LGBT people. It was also known to be welcoming to both drag queens and transgender people, and at this time these groups were often not welcomed in most traditionally gay bars. Furthermore, out of all the gay bars that did exist, Stonewall was the only place where you were actually allowed to dance. And people love to dance, so Stonewall was a very, very popular bar. So this was the normal everyday situation in the New York City neighborhood of Greenwich Village. But everything changed on June 28th, 
1969. Very early in the morning, police came to raid the Stonewall Inn. No one had tipped the owners of the inn off this time, which made this raid different from the others because they couldn't prepare. The police immediately found the liquor that they were illegally serving, and the patrons of the bar were immediately treated very badly by the police, um, who were very aggressive. At the time, the police had the absolutely horrendous practice of taking everyone who was suspected of cross-dressing, something that was illegal at the time, into the bathroom, uh, where they had to prove what sex they were. If their clothes did not, to say, line up with their sex, they were arrested, because it was illegal for people to wear clothes that weren't feminine if they were seen as female or the other way around. Apart from not being tipped off, raids like these were very common, but this time it was different. People weren't taking shit from the police this time. Normally people would flee, they would disperse and get away from the situation, which is natural because first of all there was a lot of police brutality, you don't want to be arrested, and being outed is very dangerous in this time. But this time the patrons of the bar, who were at this point kicked out, and neighborhood residents gathered outside of the bar, and they were angry at the police brutality they were seeing. And then one police officer knocked a woman over the head. Some sources say that this woman was the now famous Stormé de la Verie, who is a uh, known LGBT rights activist. Others say that Stormy was in attendance at the riots, but she wasn't this specific woman. Whoever she was, all she had done to get the beating was complain that her handcuffs were too tight. The hit she got and her angry outcry for help was the only spark that was needed to light this fire. Bystanders started shouting at the police officer and his colleagues, and they threw anything they could find, coins, pebbles, bottles. The whole street erupted in chaos, and the crowd only grew as more and more allies joined the fight. The police squad was forced to take refuge in the now empty bar. There was even an attempt to light the bar ablaze, with the whole squad being inside of it, but the fire was quickly put out. But the anger inside of the rioters wouldn't be doused. Not much later, after the police had fled inside of the bar, they were joined by the tactical patrol force of the New York City Police Department. At this point, the police was pissed off. They were humiliated. You have to understand, this kind of protest did not normally happen. Not until now. The police never had to retreat, especially not from a mob of angry queer people before. The riot took all night. A handful of people were arrested, some were hospitalized, and four police officers were injured. By morning, everything had calmed down a bit. People were gathering on the sidewalks and in the nearby park, still dazed by what had happened that night. The next night, the riots started again, and the next, and the next. Four nights after the first riot, there were big groups of people, hundreds, sometimes thousands. And what amazes me is that it is said that among the pure chaos, people were handing out leaflets with information. Before Stonewall, most organizations, which there weren't a lot of back then, argued against violence and for education for both LGBT and straight people. Although the riots were a bit against the whole no-violence policy, it was a great place to inform people, because they were either LGBT themselves or clear allies, because why else would you fight the police with the LGBT people? 
It wasn't usual to find such a big group of semi-like-minded people, so it was a great place to distribute information. The Stonewall Inn had been a place where you had to be let in by the bouncer, who looked at you through a peephole before opening the door. It was a very secretive place. It is even said that the crime family who owned the bar would sometimes blackmail their richest clients, because if you went there, you were clearly gay, and you didn't want that to get out. But now, people were on the street, openly gay and openly demonstrating. In one night, it had gone from a small, secretive club to a gigantic mob, all demanding rights. Sadly, much of the news coverage on the event uh, was riddled with homophobia. The paper Sunday News ran a headline that read, Homo nest raided, queen bees are stinging mad. Which, of course, I'm glad to say that you wouldn't see that anymore in normal papers. In total, the Stonewall riots took up five nights. But the memory and the aftermath lasted for decennia, and is still going on. This wasn't just some random demonstration. It was the first of its kind, a changing point for the movement. After the riot, more LGBT organizations were founded, like the GLF, the Gay Liberation Front. Other protests became more open and urgent, before, organizations like the Matachin Society held an annual picketing, but it was organized to be very proper. Men and women wore their assigned clothes, and no one was supposed to do queer things like holding hands. It very much strikes me as a, look, we fit into your society kind of protest. And not to say that that is bad. These people were doing what they could with the circumstances they were given. But after Stonewall, the atmosphere changed, because they had won one. It was no longer about showing that we could be normal people. It was about demanding to be accepted the way we are. On the first anniversary of Stonewall, the first gay pride parades happened in multiple different cities in the US. Of course, the biggest one was in Manhattan, Greenwich Village. I often hear people say, why do you people even need pride parades? You don't see straight people doing that. And no, you don't see straight people doing that. But you also don't see straight people getting knocked over the head by a police officer for attending the wrong bar at the wrong time and being the wrong kind of person. You don't need a pride parade if you are already raised to be proud. But if you grow up all alone thinking something is wrong with you, or if you grow up surrounded by your own thinking there's something wrong with someone else, you need to be reminded that LGBT people are here and they are perfectly perfect. So, this was a bit of a longer episode, and not as cheery as the other ones, but I hope you liked it anyway. It's all I have for this week, but next week there will be two episodes to make up for last week's missed one. If you did like the episode, please rate and review it wherever you listened. You can find me on Twitter, at InTheMorningPod, or contact me with any topic suggestions or just a message on firstthingspodcast at gmail.com. That's firstthingspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Have a good day and I hope to see you back next time on the First Things in the Morning podcast. <laughs>